Okay, guess what book we're in? No. We're in the same book as we've been in for the last several weeks. We're in Colossians. So you want to go to Colossians chapter 3. And again, if you're, you're new this morning, we, we've been going through a series on Colossians called uh, The Hope of Glory. And uh, we've reached chapter 3. Don't worry if you haven't been at any of the previous ones for two reasons. One of which you can listen to them all online. But secondly... They all stand alone anyway. They're all good stuff. So you're going to get some good stuff this morning. Um, the first thing I want to really say this morning is that what I'm going to talk about, for me, was one of the biggest uh, changes and revelations that I received. Uh, and the reason is that often we start to get an understanding of grace but then we come across a number of passages and we go, well, how does that work then? If, and, and what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at one of those passages. It used to trouble me. It used to trouble me because I, I'd look at this passage and it's very easy to read the word in the New Testament through the eyes of the Old Testament. And it's actually meant to be the other way around, that we look at the Old Testament through the eyes of the New and so when we, when we look at this, we want to understand how does this work for a born-again believer who has the Holy Spirit in them? Not how does this work for guys who had to follow loads of rules and observe all sorts of things and just try harder, because that's not who we are. And so I'm sure like, quite a lot of us have, over the years have struggled with that idea of how, how does this how does receiving grace through faith work compared to just like all the stuff I hear about how I've got to make myself holy, how I've got to sort myself out, how I've got to try harder, how I've got to clean myself up, I've just got to, I've just got to exert more willpower. And we get stuck there. And, and the reality is that we, when we get stuck there, we start burning out and we start drying up in our work with God. It stops being fun. It stops being real. It stops being intimate because all the time we feel like we're failing. And it's that I want to set you free from this morning, that sense that you're failing. Because what I want to show you is actually how you take hold of what is already yours. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, so let's go to Colossians chapter 3 and uh, we'll start straight off at verse 1. Therefore... If you have been raised with Christ, to a new, I'm reading from the Amplified, by the way, to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead. Now, just stop right there, right at the beginning. If you have been raised with Christ, have you been raised with Christ? Yes, yes it's talking to you. This is talking to you in your current state that when you believed, your old person died and your new man became alive, that you are now different by virtue of the fact that you believe in Jesus. You've been raised and given a new life. And the new, you know, what, what Christianity is, is it's all about living that new life, not about trying to clean up the old life. That old person who needed cleaning up is dead. This new man operates differently. He thinks differently. Um, he... he he deals with things differently. So right up front, I want you to remember this statement, and I'll get to it again. There is nothing so powerful 
as a made-up mind. There is nothing so powerful as a made-up mind. And so for us, we need to decide how we're going to do life, how we're going to face decisions, how we're going to fight difficulties, and how we're going to deal with the issues that face us. And we need to make up our mind and keep it made up because otherwise the enemy will try and erode the ground that we've taken. Not just for us individually, but for the church as a whole. And here's what happens when I say things like this, because it used to happen when people, like, people used to say these things to me, although actually, to tell you the truth, not many people used to say these things. Um, but this is how it, it worked for me, is if all that stuff's true, why am I not seeing it? Why am I not seeing it? And here's, here's the point. And this is what we need to understand to get our minds made up. Is what we have been legally given through Christ and what we experientially live out in our lives are two different things. You can have something legally, but if you don't use it or you use it wrongly, it won't work for you. So there's a difference between what you have and what you experience based on what you do with what you have. Does that make sense? And that's why we don't always see it. And we ask this question, well, maybe if I try harder, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, then it'll work for me. No. You legally have what you need. To experience it, you need to believe it. Not just not change it and try to get it some other way. You need to believe it and use it. And the thing is that we can get frustrated because we think, well, why isn't it working for me? And the reason is this, that change, even for a believer, is gradual. You see, you don't just become a believer and then suddenly everything else that goes through your head is completely different. Some of it hopefully is but not everything that goes through your head because you've got all sorts of learnt behaviours, learnt reactions, ways of reacting to things. And quite honestly, we've all had 10, 20, 30 or more years listening to everybody else's ideas of how to get life to work for us and not listening to what Jesus says. So a lot of that just carries on right on through when we're a believer. And that's why we need to have our mind changed. We need to make our mind up on the right side on what Jesus says. And when we say, well, it's not working for me, what we're actually saying is, this bit's not working for me, but I've got that bit now. You know, because change is gradual for a believer, you are changed inside immediately and fully, but change on the outside and changing the way you think is gradual. And let me give you some bad news first. This side of heaven, you will never have arrived. But you won't be and you aren't where you started. You aren't where you started. And here's something that I just think is huge. That what makes God happy, who wants to make God happy? Who, who would like a happy God instead of that angry God that we get sold? Yeah? What makes God happy, and he's, he's something, 
that you need to get hold of. What makes God happy is not that you've arrived, but that you're growing. And here's the problem. The religious bit in us and the religious stuff that other people say is God's not happy with you unless you've arrived. Unless you've got it all nailed, unless you're perfect. And God's saying, no, I'm happy if you're on your way and you're growing. See, what God makes God happy is the trajectory in the way we're heading, not the destination that we've arrived at. And that's something, something huge. Now, that's not to exclude that we mess up. And it's not to go say, oh, it's okay that we mess up. No, it's not okay that we mess up. But what it is to do is to say, actually, it's not the end of the story because you've messed up. It's just that you haven't taken hold of all that Christ is giving you yet. There's more to come. There's more change out there for you. More change to come. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to do that. So let's, ca let's carry on reading. Aim at and keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things, the heavenly things, not on the things on the earth which have temporal value. Now, so, some, uh, my translation, which, which isn't the Amplified, says this. Set your mind and keep it set. Set your mind and keep it set. So what it's saying is this. You have to start looking at the world through the perspective that Jesus gives. You have to start looking at the world and realizing that what the world calls impossible is possible to Jesus. That what the world calls right is wrong sometimes. That what the world says is this is the way to get stuff is not the way that Jesus is the way we get stuff. And Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. And we start seeing life through that perspective. And so when it says aim at and seek, what it say, the, the tense that that's in is, guys, you need to do this and keep on doing it. Because if you don't keep on doing it, all the stuff that's out there and all the things that people say and all the enemy throws at you will erode it. So you've got to set your mind and keep it set that I'm going to live by faith, trusting God. Even when it looks like it's not going to turn out as I would hope, I keep my mind set that I'm going to live by faith, trusting God, knowing that he is good and knowing that he's got the best for me. Even though I can't see it, even though my life looks like a disaster, I'm going to set my mind and keep it set that I am going to trust God. And when I trust God, I'm going to believe it when he says, I'm coming out the other side of this stronger than I went in. You cannot avoid difficulties in your life. You cannot avoid trials. You can't avoid problems. You can't avoid messy relationships. But what you can avoid is giving up to everything that the world throws at you and instead setting your mind and keeping it set on God, looking at it his way. And here's the thing, if you, if you think that a one-hour trip to church and, and a 30-minute or 40-minute sermon is going to do it for you once a week, it won't. And here's the reason, that it's not that... Um, that's bad for you, that is really good for you, but it's not enough. You actually need to do something with it. You, and here's the other thing, you see, I, I can teach you, my gift is as a teacher. 
And I, I can teach, but it's my revelation that I'm teaching. And until it becomes your revelation, it won't make the difference it needs to in your life. And that's why we need to learn and, and actually put some, some time in, setting our minds that we're going to build our own relationship with God, not just the relationship that Pastor Mark has with God and he tells us about. Does that make sense? Because my second-hand revelation isn't your revelation. Second-hand revelation is information that may or may not get you to your revelation. Yeah, I'm not saying that again. Proverbs 3, verse 5, it's not up there, but it's just like, um, says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. That tells us that our own understanding and the way we see things isn't necessarily going to turn out the way that we would hope. And so instead of leaning on the way we see things, making our plans, running with our own ideas, running with our own wisdom, we need to trust in God and seek his wisdom. And so we need to set our minds on God and God's ways and trust him. And when we do that, we'll discover that there is nothing so powerful as a made-up mind. So let's try that. There's nothing so powerful as... So I'm going to set my mind. You should do it a bit more enthusiastically. There's nothing so powerful as a... So I'm going to set my mind and keep it set. Amen? Okay, now let, let, let's, let's go on to verse 3. For you die to this world and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. Let me say that simply to you. You are a dead person. You are a dead man. You are a dead woman. The life you now have is the life of Christ in you. Because when you gave your life to Christ, when you accepted his offer of salvation, your old person died. And here's something you can't do with a dead person. You can't upset them. You can't offend them. You can't hurt them. Why? Because they're dead. And often we carry on behaving like we were still that old person and not realizing that old person's dead, that we're a new person and, and new people live differently. And so we carry on doing all the stuff that the old person did. And we get angry, we get bitter, we get unforgiveness, we get offended. And we carry it around with us instead of trusting God. You are dead. Your life is not yours. And, and you go like, well, you know, I, just, I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't, I don't know how I can live out this Christian life because I've got this in my life. I've got that in my life. I've got that priority. I've got that. I've got this job. I've got this money. I've got to pay the mortgage. I've got to do all this. You are not your own. Well, I haven't got the time. You have the same amount of time as everybody else in the world. We all have the same amount of time. We have all the time there is. Every single person in this room has all the time there is in the world. It's what we do with it 
that tells us and gives us a signal about whether that dead person is still running our life or whether God is running our life. And it's very easy for us to carry on trying to resurrect the dead person in us and keep him going and resuscitating him on a life support machine because we're listening to everything in the world and not following the voice of God. You see, when it comes to how we deal with some of the, the issues and problems that we ourselves face, you know, like I said at the start, you know, like, why, why am I not, like, perfect yet? I know that, you know, I'm, I know that you all think I am, but Cheryl knows that on occasional, once a year, that I'm less than perfect. And, and we ask ourselves that question, don't we? Why, why is this just, why is it? I know that, that the Bible says that I'm holy, but I'm not. Like, did, did you see what I did? No, well, actually, you didn't see what I did. If you did, you wouldn't like me, so I'm not going to tell you. You know, that's the sort of stuff that goes through. And, like, oh, it's church this morning, so I've got to be really holy and really well behaved. And, you know, I've got to be nice to people, people I don't like. We'll get to like them. It's easy. Look for Christ in the person. Look for Christ in the person. Well, I don't think I get along with that person. Well, look for Christ. You'll get along with him. Just look for those bits. We all have some of those bits. And, and so, you see, the, the way it works is, is like this, and it, it took me years to get this, and it was when Cheryl was actually challenged at a ladies' Bible study. And while she was at this Bible study, having, like, getting ripped to shreds because she was talking about grace, I was like having a prayer time at home thinking, oh, the wife's out, I'm left to look, for I'm left to look after Jessica. Oh, she's asleep, excellent. Um, you know, like doing the dad bit. I can put my feet up now, read my book, Jessica's asleep. When she, this is when she was a baby. And I was saying to God, like, how, how does this grace thing work? Because how is it that I'm still doing stuff that's wrong? So how, how does it work? And he, and he showed me this picture and it was like, you know, the idea is an open vision, like I wasn't asleep, but it's like there's a movie unfolding in front of me, and I'm in the movie, and I, I'm, I'm swimming out in this muddy uh, water, and in the middle of the water, there's a whirlpool, and it's going round and round and round, you know, like whirlpools, and so I'm swimming towards that, and I get caught in this whirlpool and sucked in, and because it's like a vision, I'm going, okay, God, how are you going to save me from the whirlpool, because I'm thinking how I think. And then I started to get kind of worried because I didn't reappear on the surface. And I'm thinking, telling me I'm going to drown. I've got, I've got a vision. And I'm going like, God, what, what is going on here? Why, why am I not reappearing on the surface? And all I remember is that as I saw myself disappearing in this whirlpool, I was, it was like I was getting scrubbed. You know, like if you put somebody in what things in a washing machine, they go round and round like that, and they get cleaner and cleaner. It, that's what was happening in this whirlpool, and I disappeared. But and, and the further down I went, the cleaner I got. And so I said, God, what? Why am I not coming back up? Why? Why? Am, why is it? Why is it? Why is it that I can't see myself? And He took me under the water, and He showed me in the water, and He said, He's and. He showed me, right, you know, like really close, micro, up close. And he showed me that every bit of dirt that tried to stick to me 
was simultaneously washed off. And he said, that's what happens as long as you're in me. You stay in the water, the dirt doesn't stick. That's how I count it for you. So as long as you're in me, there's no dirt attaching. There's nothing attaching. And we are in him, aren't we? We are in him. See, that's how grace works. Now, so how do we then, so that's what's happening in reality with God in heaven. That's what the truth is. But then how do we get that to actually start being more apparent on the outside? Because so far I've talked about what's in heaven and I've talked about what's inside. So how do we get it to be more apparent on the outside? Well, in our, in our bedroom, we have, um, how can I put it, a row of fitty wardrobes. And they, 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 there's quite a lot of space in these fitted wardrobes. And here's what I found. Fitted wardrobes are for storing clothes. You, you probably know that. Fitted wardrobes are for storing clothes. And what I've discovered is that over the years, Cheryl has at various times been an expert in storing clothes. Well, actually, she, she gave most of them away a couple of years ago when we had a bland, black bin bag collection. But there's, there's still a few then, and they've accumulated again. And I'm sure you all understand what we're talking about. Men, we don't understand at all what I'm saying. We have no idea. All that happens to us men is we hear this word, we, we look, you can see that you, your wife or whoever looking in the wardrobe and they're going, and there's rows and rows of clothes and they come out with this statement, well, I need to keep that because it might come back in fashion. And I'm stood there going, Shelly, you were wearing that when we were courting. I don't think it's coming back, you know. I don't think it's coming back. And... For a long time, I got on, I coped. I coped with the fact that Cheryl had four wardrobe spaces and I had one. I coped with that. I coped with the fact that sometimes my socks disappeared into her wardrobe. I coped with those sort of things. What I found really difficult is when Jessica came back from university to, to live back at home and I turned up and I opened my wardrobe one day and it was half full of Jessica's clothes that wouldn't fit in her room. So I've now got half a wardrobe. And, and you go like, what is going on? And, and I'm going like, what is happening? It just does not process through my man head. And then I see that we're going out for, for like a Christmas meal. Jessica and Shell are getting ready. And they're both going through these wardrobes, through these wardrobes. And I'm thinking, they've got hundreds. And they go, I haven't got a thing to wear. I'll need to shop. I'll need to get another outfit for this. I haven't got a thing to wear. And I'm going, well, I'm sure we're there. In my three shirts, I'll find something to wear. <laughs> and you see, it makes perfect sense to a female mind and doesn't to a male mind because we think differently. But what it does is it helps us to understand how this gospel works for us. You see... When, they were, got, when they, were, they were stood in front of the mirror, do, you know, doing the hair and all that sort of stuff, and um, they're going, I haven't got anything to end. So what they were doing is they were each trying on an outfit and going, no, I don't think that's the one for your mum. Oh, Jessica, I don't, no, I don't think you can wear that tonight. Not with them boots. I don't think you can wear that tonight. And they were trying these outfits on, putting an outfit on, taking it off, putting an outfit on, taking it off, putting an outfit on, 
taking it off and repeating until they believed that they were perfect. That is how the gospel works. We put off our old things and we put on the new and we repeat until it's sorted, until we're ready. All of us have a spiritual changing room. All of us have a spiritual wardrobe. It's called our mind. And all of us have a mirror to look at ourselves in as to what we look like. It's called the Word of God. So, as new believers, we are given a new nature. And that new nature is called love. We are, we are called to love like Christ loved. And so, you know, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 13. And this is what he says. I'll just read you it. It's on the screen, but I'll read it anyway. Therefore, no, where have we got? Oh, we go. Therefore, lay aside the deeds of darkness, put off the clothes that don't fit anymore, that don't work for you anymore, that are out of fashion because you're a different person and you're a different shape. Get rid of that set of clothes and put on what? The armor of light. You'll look good in the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves properly and honorably in the light of day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and irresponsibility, not in quarreling and jealousy. I, do, I always find it amusing that you've got like sexual immorality, carousing, drunkenness, and then irresponsibility. Irresponsibility. I, one day I'll grow out of irresponsibility. I'll become a responsible adult. But clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision or even think about gratifying the flesh in regard to its improper desires. Okay, this is where I'm going with this. So you need to listen. If you haven't been listening up to now, this is where you, you need to listen really carefully. Because if you read that passage through the mindset of the Old Testament, you are going to get yourselves in trouble. And I'll tell you why you'll get yourselves in trouble, because you won't be able to do it. Because there's no power in do's and don'ts. And if we read that through, well, I can't do that, 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 we'll invent a load of rules that we try and observe to stop us doing it, and we'll find out that whilst we managed to not do any of that, we did something else rubbish instead. And one of the great things that, that, about the gospel is it tells us we can't do it. We can't do do's and don'ts. The very thing that the Church of God is known for in the UK is the do's and don'ts, and that's the one thing that we can't do. We can't do the do's and don'ts. Not of our own strength. Not of our own willpower. Because the problem with willpower is it works for a while and then it runs out. It's an exhaustible quantity. And we give up and we fall back and then we feel twice as bad, twice as guilty and twice as rubbish. And we just convince ourselves we're a total failure. If you read this passage through that lens, you will get in that sort of trouble. Instead, we have to read it through the lens of the cross. That is why Paul doesn't say, don't do this, don't do that. 
What he says instead is lay aside those things. Lay aside the clothing of the kingdom of darkness. Lay aside that outfit that doesn't fit you anymore. Lay aside that stuff that now looks bad on you. Those words uh, translated lay aside could also be translated discard or stow away. So the idea is that you go through your wardrobe, in a spiritual sense, you go through your wardrobe, you find all the stuff that doesn't fit anymore, doesn't look good on you anymore, and you don't say maybe all that bad stuff will come back in fashion. You don't say that. You empty your wardrobe of that stuff, you put it in a big bin bag or a trunk, and you take it and you get rid of it and you don't ever ask for it back. That's, that's the picture he's trying to create, that you... You pack away all the stuff that doesn't work anymore, that doesn't fit anymore, that's not you anymore, that, that was bought by that dead person you once were. And you say, that's not me. I don't wear that anymore. I don't, I don't look good in that anymore. I thought I looked really cool in that. Well, I used to look really cool in flares, but I wouldn't wear them now. I used to have a pair of platform shoes. Who would like to see me in platform shoes now? The only advantage of platform shoes is I was then normal height. You know, we, we all have worn stupid outfits, but we wouldn't wear them now. And that's what he, Paul's saying. He's saying, don't wear them now. Don't Just pack them away, lay them aside, recognize them for what they are, look in the mirror of God's word, look in that mirror and go, you don't look so cool in that, not like you used to, and get rid of it. Don't save it in the hope that one day you'll put it back on again. Are you with me? Now, what that tells us is just like bringing in the clothes for next week, laying aside is deliberate act. You've got to set your mind. You've got to decide. It's, your mind is the powerful thing in here. You've looked in the mirror. You've got, I can't find anything to wear. All that I've got, all that old stuff doesn't suit me anymore. I do need a new outfit. That's called repentance. I need a new outfit. I recognize that what I've been wearing doesn't suit anymore because of who I am now. So how do you deal with all the stuff that keeps coming back and reappearing in you? How do you deal with the flesh? How do you deal with the flesh that look, makes you look in the mirror and go, I can't afford to throw that out going to come back it's going to be it's going to be fashionable I, I might just need that for a dinner one day how do you deal with it how do you deal with all the stuff that messed up your life but you're still holding on to and this is again is why we need to read this through the lens of grace and faith a new covenant faith where the old man is dead the new man's alive so when paul talks about things like killing the flesh how do you kill the flesh? Now you're looking at me all like, well, I know what I've been told is how to kill the flesh, but I guess that's not the right answer because Mark never gives me the same answer. How do you kill the flesh? Because most people would say, well, the way you kill the flesh, uh, you know, sorry, I've gone on to verse 5 now, by the way. Uh, verse 5 says, consider the members of your body as dead. 
Dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Because it's, it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. So it's saying that, that God that isn't happy with these things, but that's not who you are. And he's dealt with these things as far as you're concerned. You're not under wrath anymore. The sons of disobedience are under wrath. You're not because you put your faith in Christ. But he's still saying you need to do something about your flesh. It needs to be dead. How do you make it dead? You consider it dead because that's really what it is. It has no power over you. It just tries to tell you it's still alive. You know, when, when somebody dies, um, and sometimes it, when they're in the mortuary or the undertakers, dead bodies can sit up, they can move. There's like after effects of the electric currents and things in their body, the muscles spasm and things for quite a few days after some a body's actually died. And, and so you still, you've, you've still got your spasms. Your, your dead man's still trying to sit up and have a few jerks. And, and Paul's saying, consider that dead, because it's dead. It's not a real thing. It's not who you are. It's not how you function. It's an unnatural reaction now, not a natural reaction. So how do you consider yourself dead? But more importantly, how do you kill the flesh? And, and we come up with all these things, lists of do's, don'ts, religious observances, telling people how bad they are. You know, former times, and I, I guess, you know, some people somewhere still do this. They used to whip themselves and wear horsehair shirts. And, and some like really kind of radical Catholics used to wear bands around the legs. I forgot what they were called, but they used to have like sharp spikes going into your thigh. And just to remind you that the flesh was temporal and, and to remind you through the pain that, that you needed to kill your flesh. And then other people, they're going for extreme fasting and, and other people like they go become recluses. And then other people just give up because it's just too difficult. And we've all heard this. And, and we, you know, in some churches uh, over the years and in tradition, they've repeated things like, I'm a miserable sinner. No, you're not. You're holy. You're a saint because Jesus made you that way. We, we're trained to speak out things that aren't actually true. And as long as we keep speaking them out and believing the truth about us, we'll be putting on our old sets of clothes again. We'll be rummaging around in that bin bag and taking them back out and saying, well, I don't look too bad. I've just got a few bulges where I didn't have the bulges. But it still fits. It still fits. If I widen that and if I put a bit of elastic in the waist, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. No, it won't be fine. You'll look an idiot, but you just won't know it. We all look idiots at various points of time and not know it. Because we're wearing clothes that don't fit us anymore. We're wearing a, a way of behaving that isn't working for us anymore. So how do you kill the flesh? Here's the way you kill the flesh. You make up your mind that whatever is going on in your life that needs to change, you're not going to live like that anymore. So the first thing you do is you make your mind up that you're going to engage with God and sort in this issue. You have to do that. 
you know, that, that's kind of why, um, kind of why we, you know, we, we, we still need to acknowledge before God where we're doing stuff wrong. Some people go, well, you know, I'm holy, God's made me holy, as far as he's in the West, he's going to forget, you know, he's forgot my sins, he's moved them, I don't, I don't need to acknowledge anything wrong. No, you do. But you're not doing it for his benefit. You think he doesn't know? He knows. You're not doing that for his benefit. What you're doing is you're facing up to what needs to change in you. And you're going, God, I'm not going to hide behind the fact that I'm going to blame this on what so-and-so did to me or what they said. I'm not going to blame it on a difficult childhood. I'm not going to blame it on anything about this. This is, yeah, God, I actually, I, you know, these things are all a product of what I've been through in my life. But they're still wrong. The way I'm reacting, the way I'm dealing with it, the way that I'm responding to that, it's wrong. So God... I need to own up to that so you can change me. Because now I see clearly that these things in me need to change. That's what repentance is. It's a changing of your mind so you start to look at things differently so that you are no longer a victim and dictated to by what's happened in your life, but you're free. Why are you free? Because you've faced it, you've said that's produced in me some stuff that needs to change, and you're asking God to change it. He's going, I need some new clothes here because I've been wearing that stuff that doesn't fit me anymore. Jesus said I can have freedom, I need some new clothes. So we get our new clothes. So, here's what verses 6 and 7 say to, when you take them together. Uh, they say, First thing, you put off the old and put on the new. And the second thing, he says, is in these things you once walked. So you don't have to walk in them anymore. You once did, but you don't have to now. Let me just, I'm just going to kind of, Reel it all in and get to the conclusion. Let's go back to a, a question I asked earl, earlier on. If we are already holy because Christ has saved us and he's forgotten, all, he, he's removed all our sins, he's paid the price for our sins, he's made us perfect in God's sight, he's given us the standing of being seated with him in heavenly places and children of God. If all that is true, why are there still some verses in the Bible that call us to be holy? Be holy as God is holy. Because you've got to deal with those. You know, you can't just ignore verses because you don't like them. When God says, be holy, if you read that through an old covenant thing, you say, I'm not holy, I've got to sort myself out. If you read that through the new covenant, you read it as God saying, you don't have to live like this. Be who I've now made you to be. I've made you holy, so now be holy. Because you can. Well, how do I do that, God? Well, let me, let me just tell, give you a couple of quotes from wiser people than me. Anybody heard of a great evangelical uh, preacher of a previous generation called Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
is like I've got like rolls of books on Romans and Sermon on the Mount and all sorts of stuff on my bookshop. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, holiness is not something we are called upon to do in order to become something. It is something we do because we already are. And that's just, that's huge. That's huge. But there's a lot of scriptures that tell us then, become holy. How do you reconcile that with the almost twice as many scriptures that tell you you already are holy? Because you can't both be right, can they? Yes, they can. They can both be right. There's, a, there's a, an author that, that I like. He's, he sometimes gets confused because he's called Bill Graham. He's not Billy Graham. He's called Bill Graham. Okay, so this is a quote from Bill Graham. I haven't, I haven't misspelt it. It's not Billy Graham. It's Bill Graham. And this is what he says. Are Christians a truly holy people or are we trying to become a holy people? An oak sapling grows. It doesn't get oakier. Oak is oak. It simply matures into what it already is, a fully grown tree that is oak. And that's what's happening with us. We, we already have holiness in our spirit. We've already been made right with God and we grow into it. We start clothing ourselves with it. And, and he goes on to say this. Needless to say, maturity doesn't occur in one giant leap, but through a process. But we all are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Notice it's from glory to glory, not from garbage to glory. I'd never seen that before I read that. It's from glory to glory. You set off with glory. You don't set off garbage. You set off with glory. It's who you are. The Holy Spirit is alive in you. He's one with your spirit. You've been set free from the dominion of sin in your life. You're going from glory to glory. You're not garbage. The enemy's telling you you're garbage. He's wrong. He's lying. Kick him. Give him a good boot up the butt and say, that doesn't fit me anymore. It's not who I am. I'm going from glory to glory. I've already got glory. There's more coming. Wait till you see me in my full glory. Whoa. And, and we like that. So you are already holy in Christ. Just as an oak sapling does not get oakier as it matures, neither does a new creature in Christ get holier, more forgiven, or more accepted. So how does Paul tell us to deal with the flesh if it's not do's and don'ts? How does he tell us to kill the flesh if it's not law, if it's not rules, if it's not willpower? He tells us to make our mind up. He tells us to tell us, acknowledge where we've been, Set our mind and keep it set. Here's how you kill the flesh. Do you want to know how you kill the flesh? Stop feeding it and just starve it to death. Paul is absolutely consistent. He says that's how you kill the flesh. Stop feeding it and you starve it to death. Verse 10 and 11. Put on the new self who has been renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. I want you to take, just go back to those verses in Romans that I read earlier. Romans chapter 13, verse 
13 to 14. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and what? Make no provision for the flesh. Nor even think about gratifying the flesh. You want to kill the flesh? You starve it. How do you starve the flesh? You feed your spirit and you don't make any place for it. You, you empty the wardrobe and you don't put them back and you don't go rummaging in your bin bags again. You go, that does not suit me anymore. I am not wearing you anymore. And every time you do that, the power of the Holy Spirit is releasing you to change you, to change what look, looks like on the outside overcome what's happening in the flesh. You see, a response to something going wrong is not to introduce a load of rules to stop you doing that again. A response to something going wrong and you're doing something wrong is this. Recognize you have been conned. Because that is not who you're meant to be. That is not what you're meant to look like. You have been conned by the enemy. You've been conned by the flesh. And the response is not to give in and say, oh, I'm a weak, miserable sinner. The response is to get mad and deal with it. The response is to kick back and say, that's not who I am. I'm not wearing that outfit anymore. I'm not going to look like that anymore. That's not, that does not suit me. I bulge in all the wrong places. I wobble in all the wrong places and it's not good for me. So I'm going to change my outfit. I'm going to recognize I've got a new set of clothes and they're the ones I'm going to put on. And I'm not going to make any provision for you. I'm not going to make any provision for you, flesh. We need to start being believers who don't make any provision for our flesh. By that, I mean accommodating that. By that, I mean making excuses. By that, I mean examining our priorities and, our t and where we put our time. By that, I mean examining our finances and what we do with our finances. By that, I mean look at looking at our relationships and what we do with our relationships and, 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 and say, I am, just take an example of a relationship, like two people who are arguing with each other, rowing with each other, what, what does that look like? I don't make any provision for that anymore. I'm not that person. You can argue with me as much as you like. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to respond in that same thing. I'm not going to be pushed around, but I'm not going to respond in anger. I'm not going to get offended, and I'm not going to get bitter. I'm just going to say, well, I actually, I think it's like this. Because I'm not going to make any provision for my flesh to get involved in that relationship. Because my flesh has already messed up that relationship enough. And, and so we, the way we deal with flesh is to starve it. It's not to kill it. It's not to, what do they call it? What do they call it when they whip themselves? Flagellation. Yeah, it's not to do stuff like that. Wear horsehair shirts. Say X hundred repetitious prayers. It's nothing like that. It's not how you kill the flesh. That's how you build religion. You kill the flesh by starving the flesh and making no provision. You put off that which does not suit anymore and you put on the clothes that suit you to a T because they displayed the glory that is already there and they've got room 
to the glory amen can we push it so father i want to thank you i want to thank you that you've just changed the whole basis by which we can relate to you that you uh, took away all that law and all those rules and all that tradition and all that religion that, that, that neutered the power of your love and the power of your gospel. And you took it out of the way. You nailed it to the cross. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you that now we have a new set of clothes to go with our new person. So we consciously choose to put off that old stuff. We make no provision for it. And we choose to put on the stuff. And I'm looking right in the mirror, the mirror of your word. And that says that I'm moving from glory to glory. And I welcome that glory coming in my life, Lord. I welcome it. I choose it. I accept it. I embrace it. And I'm going to display it for all the world to see. In Jesus' name. Amen. Should we stand?